I want to talk about Adam. Not just the Adam from the Garden of Eden, but also my friend Adam Harper. I first met Adam Harper about a year ago, and the very first thing I noticed about Adam Harper was that his face is almost entirely covered in tattoos. And I'll be honest with you, when I first saw Adam and I saw his tattoos, I wanted to turn away. I kind of cringed a little bit, and I didn't want to come closer. Well, I did come closer, and I started getting to know Adam, and I started asking him, what's your story? And Adam tells a story of early childhood pain and loss. His parents went through a bitter divorce, and that led to all kinds of pain, and it led to some rebelliousness in his heart. He didn't know what to do with his pain, and he started acting out in schools. He ended up getting kicked out of four different schools, finally graduating from one of them, but then falling back into rebellion and sin and even drug use and drug abuse and finally homelessness. It's a pretty sad story, but it all began with earlier sin. Adam Harper was sinned against as a child, and that led him into a life of sin. His story is marked by earlier sin. And what Genesis chapter 3 shows us is that all of us have a story that is marked by earlier sin, original sin, as we call it in Genesis chapter 3. The story of Adam and Eve, our first parents, is the story of us. And that earlier sin, just like it affected my friend Adam Harper's life, it affects our life as well. This earliest of sins, which we see here in Genesis chapter 3, is still wreaking havoc on our lives. Genesis chapter 3 shows us exactly how we get into sin, how it comes into our lives and our relationships, what it does to us, and it also shows us, this chapter, how we typically respond to sin but it also offers us a better way. So that's what I want us to see in this chapter, that it's our story of earlier sin. It's still having impact on our lives today. It shows us how sin comes into our lives, what it does to us, how we instinctually respond, but most importantly, a better way to respond. So let's look at the story together, beginning in verse 1, how sin actually makes its way into our world and into our lives. Verse 1 says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What I find fascinating about this verse is that it's the first evidence of what I call triangulation, you see. The serpent has Adam and Eve alone, and and God doesn't happen to be in the picture just then. And so the serpent pulls him in. He says, let's talk about God while he's not here. This is basically, triangulation is another word for gossip. Let's talk about, did God actually say? Let's talk about him when he's not here, you see. This is maybe a strong warning to us because everything that takes place after this rides on the back of gossip. Be careful, people. It seems harmless, doesn't it? Come, come into my cubicle over here. Let's talk about the boss or whatever. Maybe it's the carpool line. Be careful. Gossip in this story, triangulation in this story leads to all kinds of hell breaking out. 
We continue the story in verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, by the way, this is the last innocent statement in human history. She answers him honestly. She's not taking the bait just yet. The woman says to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So the serpent now driving his wedge a little bit deeper, he comes in for a little bit closer kill, and he says in verse 5, basically, God's a liar. See what he says in verse 5? He says, um, or, or verse, yeah, verse 5, sorry, verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. See what he's doing here? Starts off with a little bit of gossip. Did God actually say this? The woman responds to him and he says, God's a liar. Now that I've got you talking about him with me, let me just be clear with you. God's a liar. He's calling God a liar. God didn't actually say that. And then he says in verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Remember that phrase. We're going to come back to it. Knowing good and evil. This is basically the temptation. This is the basis for human sin. We think of the first sin in the garden of of being like Eve doing what she's not supposed to do. She takes a bite out of the apple, and therefore we're supposed to just follow the rules, right? That's kind of the takeaway. But if you look at this more closely, the temptation here isn't so much to take a bite out of the apple. It's to be like God. That's what the serpent is presenting before Eve. He doesn't want you to do this, Eve, because he knows that you'll be like God. How does that sound, Eve, to be like God? And in verse 6, it kind of seems kind of maybe appealing to her. Well, maybe that doesn't sound so bad. Here's what it says in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. You see this? The temptation is to be like God. There is a God. There is a creator. We are the creation. He's the one who established the garden. He established the whole world, and he gave us everything we need within it. And the serpent comes in and says, why does he get to be in charge? Wouldn't you want to be in charge? Don't you want to be like God? Now, sometimes Christian theology is hard to explain and it's hard to illustrate, but this one, I think, is so evident all over the place, that the basis of human sin is that we just have a desire to be gods ourselves. We want to be in charge. Have you ever seen a toddler? (laughs) Yesterday, we were at the Hawk Festival at the Audubon. It was a beautiful day. It was a little bit hot, and there were quite a few toddlers around, and there were quite a few toddler tantrums that I saw. And basically, the toddler tantrum was around who's going to be in charge. The toddler says, I want to go over there. And mom and dad says, you're staying right there. And all of a sudden, they're stomping feet and crying and weeping and wailing. They want to be in charge. Eve, wouldn't you rather be in charge? God knows that you shouldn't do this because you'll be like him. Mm, That sounds interesting. I think the basis of all human sin is that we want to be our own gods. Think about it. Being God looks pretty good, doesn't it? God has all the fame. He's the most famous person in all of the universe. And something in us says, I want to be more famous. And that leads us into all kinds of sin. God has all the power of all the universe. And something inside of some of us says, I want more power. 
I want to be like God. And that can lead us into all kinds of sin. God has millions of creatures and elders and angels bowing down and worshiping him, saying, your name is worthy. And some of us say, I want my name known. You see, the basis of human sin is that we want to be like God. We're not satisfied with just following the rules. Like a toddler is not satisfied with following the rules. I was talking about this with the Thursday morning Bible study last week, and I was just kind of uh, thinking out loud and saying, this is kind of like being a toddler. You know, it's so obvious with toddlers. We just want to be in charge, and so do we. And a couple of the guys around the table were just kind of leaning back in their chair, smiling at me. And I said, what's up, guys? And they said, Nathan, you just haven't raised teenagers yet. That may be right. (laughs) But toddlers and teenagers are really just unfiltered versions of all of us, aren't they? We've covered it up a little bit. You know, we've gotten a little bit more sophisticated about it, but there's a toddler inside all of us. We kind of cover it up, kind of like my friend with the face tattoos. We think we can cover things up. Maybe people won't see what's really going on inside here, but there's a toddler, there's a rebellious teenager in every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. And when the serpent comes along and says, wouldn't you like to be in charge? Wouldn't you like to be famous? Wouldn't you like to be all-powerful? Wouldn't you want your name to be written in lights? And we say, that sounds pretty good. And we take a bite of the fruit, and it leads us into all kinds of sin. When I'm really honest with myself, when I look deep down in there, and I realize some of the desire that I have to be my own God, I'm a little bit embarrassed. I feel a little bit exposed. I feel kind of like, I kind of look like I'm acting like a toddler. And I kind of want to cover it up. I kind of want to hide. This is exactly the way Adam and Eve feel. It says in verse 7, then the eyes of both were open. They could see what they've done now. And they knew that they were naked. And what they do, they try to cover it up quick. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves Loincloths. This is the beginning now of what we instinctually, what we naturally do in response. Once we realize we have sin, we start to hide. We start to cover it up because we feel ashamed. But the biggest thing that this text shows us of what sin actually does to us comes in the next verse. It might be the most heartbreaking verse in all of Scripture. Verse 8, it says this, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking, in the garden, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is heartbreaking. Apparently there was some Maybe some routine that they followed where every morning in the garden, in the cool of the day, they they went for a walk with God. And he shows up one morning for their time together, their quiet time, their time of intimacy, their time of togetherness, and Adam and Eve aren't here. There's God at the meeting place in the garden in the cool of the day, and where are Adam and Eve? They're hidden behind their shame and their regret. They're hidden in the trees. You see, they had made a decision. They want to be like God. They want to be their own gods. They want to set the standard. They want to make their own choices. They want to be God, and all of a sudden, the actual God shows up you know, and they hide themselves. They can't face him. They can't look at him. And this separation, God, there he is in the garden in the cool of the day. There's Adam and Eve in the trees. This picture is a a picture of the separation that all of us have because of sin. 
we realize our sin and instinctually, naturally, we want to hide. We want to we turn our back a little bit on God. We can't face Him. In order for us to see, so that's the instinctual, that's the natural way we respond when we realize we have sinned. There is a better way for us to respond. In order to see the better way, we have to look at what God is doing in the story now. You see, God, there he is in the garden in the cool of the day, and there's Adam and Eve hidden in the trees. He could have called out to them and said, and stay there. What does he do instead? Verse 9. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where have you gone? I'm here to meet with you. The man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. You see what they're doing here? First they hide behind fig leaves, then they hide behind trees. Now they found something really clever to hide behind, excuses. Lies. So he turns to the woman. What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And this begins the longest ever running game of hide and seek. Adam and Eve feel ashamed of their sins, so they hide, and God seeks them. They hide a little bit further, and God seeks them. Where are you? Who told you? Have you? These are the three questions God asks, and with each one, he's pursuing them, and he's pursuing them, and he's pursuing us, and we keep hiding in our shame. We find clever ways to hide from God. We can't face him. We can't turn back to him. There he is in the garden in the cool of the day, the refreshing, beautiful, intimate presence of God, and we say, ooh, I can't let him see this thing that I've done. I've chosen to be my own God, and now he's the actual God, and he showed up, and I can't face him, and God keeps pursuing us. It's hide and seek. He's continuing it to this day. He's seeking after all of us right now, no matter how buried you have hidden your sin. God calls out, where are you? I'm here for you. Come to me, turn to me. And that leads us to the better way of responding instinctually, naturally. It's in our DNA to hide from him in our shame. But a better way is to turn to him. At any one of these questions, Adam and Eve could have turned back to him. When he said, where are you? They could have said, we're over here in the trees. God, we'll come there. We'll be right there. When he says, who told you? They could have said, it was the serpent. We talked to the serpent. Please forgive us. They could have cut the triangulation right out. And then when he says, did you eat of it? That's a yes or no question, by the way. Did you eat of it? And they're like, she told me to do it. He told me to do it. Right? This is an opportunity, though. They could have said, yes, we ate it. We made the decision. Please forgive us. See, each one of these is an opportunity for them to turn back. God is pursuing them, and God is pursuing us. All he wants is for us to turn back. That's what repentance is. Repent simply means to turn back to God. That's all it is. You turn back to him. That's what he wants from Adam and Eve in the garden, and that's what he wants from us. Look what it says in Acts chapter 3. Verse 19, think about God, that refreshing presence in the garden of the cool of the day. Look what it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. 
Repent, that means turn back. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come. From what? The presence of the Lord. Sin drove a wedge between Adam and Eve and God. It drives a wedge between us and God. We want refreshing. We want to be back with Him. Our hearts long for that, for the refreshing presence of the Lord. All we have to do is turn back. That's the better way. Repentance, to turn back to Him. The thing is, God knows all about our sin. We think we can hide it from Him. We think hiding behind trees or excuses or lies or other clever things we come up with, oh, God doesn't know about our sin all of a sudden. No, He knows all about us and He still pursues us. You are fully known and fully loved. That's the gospel. He knows all about your sin. You can't hide it behind trees or face tattoos or anything. He sees right in. He sees it, and he's still pursuing you in love. I want to tell you the rest of the story of Adam Harper. Where I left him a few minutes ago, it was a pretty sad state. He was homeless and addicted to drugs. Well, God pursued Adam. And God grabbed hold of Adam, and you know what Adam did? Adam, Adam turned. Adam repented. Adam turned back to the God who was pursuing him. And he now has a living, wonderful, active relationship with God, our Savior. He's no longer addicted. He's no longer homeless. In fact, he's on the leadership team at Stanwich in Stanford. He sets up chairs and takes down chairs every Sunday night. Sometimes he reads scripture from the pulpit. There was a point in our relationship with Adam where I realized when I look at him, I no longer see the face tattoos. I see the light of Christ coming out of his eyes. This is a changed man. All he did was turn back. So can we. I was texting with Adam this week. I was asking his permission to use his story in the sermon. He said, yeah, of course, please use it. And I said, I want to show the congregation a picture of you. Can you send me one? And he had one on his phone and he texted it. And it was of him. He was like in a hoodie and he wasn't smiling. And I was like, that'll never do. (laughs) I said, send me a picture that shows the light of Christ coming through your face like I know you have. And he said, okay, pastor, I'm at work, but I'll have one of my coworkers take it. And so he sent me this picture. I'll tell you what I love about this picture. How handsome is that young man? You see the light of Christ coming through his face? I'll tell you what I love about this picture. He didn't even know what I was preaching on, but here is Adam in the garden. (laughs) There is a Holy Spirit. And what's he doing? He's turning back. You couldn't, I couldn't have told him to stage a better picture. He did, I had already written the sermon all about all that God wants for us is to turn back and behold his face. It's a forgiving face. It's a face of mercy. It's not judgment. I love this picture also because when I look at it, if I'm honest, it's me. And it's you. I don't have face tattoos. I've never been addicted to drugs. But do you think God can't see my sin like it's written all over my face? He knows all about your sin. 
And this is what he wants from you. He wants you to turn back to him, to repent, to find refreshing from the presence of the Lord, just like it says in Acts chapter 3. Sin drives a wedge between us and God. That's what it does to us. But we don't need to hide anymore. I don't know what sin you got buried deep down in there, what pattern in your life that you don't want to bring before God. If Adam can bring it all before God, so can you. Repent, therefore. Turn back. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Amen.